We are looking this morning in the book of Numbers in chapter 6 in a passage that's often referred to as the priestly blessing. So we're looking at Numbers 6, starting in verse 22 through to verse 27. And I'll read that out for us now. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. This is God's word. Amen. Please be seated. Well, it is appropriate that throughout the history of the church, Christians have dismissed one another from their gatherings with this assuring word of divine blessing as they go to face the journey of a new week because God's people here in Numbers 6 are also on the brink of a new journey. Just as Christians today walk the road of faith, so too God's people in the book of Numbers are about to travel into the wilderness to face a series of trials and testings and temptations that would stir within them all kinds of doubts and insecurities about the goodness of God. And so, as an expression of his heart and his plan and his purposes, the Lord summons Moses the mediator and Aaron the priest, and he tells them to give his people this word of assurance that his eternal intention is to bless his people. And there is nothing in heaven or on earth or under the earth that would ever be able to thwart the good and divine will of their heavenly Father. And so as we come to Numbers 6, 22 to 27, we can receive this word like a father bending his knee down to his child grinning from ear to ear with his arms full of what appears to be a pile of never-ending good and perfect gifts, as if he wants to say to us, whatever is going on in your life right now, and whatever else you may face in the days ahead, I promise I will be with you to the very end. Well, such was the case then in God's relationship with his people when this divine blessing was first pronounced, and such is the case now for those who belong to Christ, to which we say hallelujah. The journey of faith during our brief life upon the earth is filled with all manner of trials and difficulties and temptations, some of which in this past year we have experienced in unique measure. And these difficulties are very real and they are very hard. And yet our Heavenly Father has turned this word of assurance, this divine blessing toward the Christian and fulfilled it and now speaks it to us through his beloved Son. And so the question that God's word is bringing to bear upon us this morning as we start this new year together is simply Do you have this word of assurance in your heart that God is infinitely 
and inexhaustibly committed to blessing you through his Son, Jesus Christ. It is the desire of the Spirit of God this morning to enrapture your heart with this truth, that you may be assured of his blessing for your good and for the sake of his name and glory among the nations. Well, how could this passage get us there? Sounds wonderful, doesn't it? Three different ways, three different things that we're going to see, okay? First, we're going to see the boundary of the blessing. Then we're going to see the benefits of the blessing. And then we're going to see the branding of God's blessing. So first, we have the boundary of God's blessing. And this is in verses 22 and 23. The word says that the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his son, saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. Now this point needs to be made very clear right from the get-go, that the wonderful words of verses 24 to 26 are not distributed indiscriminately. There is a relational context that verses 22 and 23, and really the whole narrative of God's people, the people of Israel, under Moses' leadership from Exodus all the way to Deuteronomy, there is a relational context in which someone has to be in in order to rightly receive the blessing of verses 24 to 26. To borrow uh, an image from the book of Numbers itself, which opens up uh, the first few chapters explaining the arrangement of God's people within the camp. To borrow an image from that, we might say that the boundary of God's blessing is like a circle that makes its way around the camp of God's people with the tabernacle at the center in which God is in a special relationship, a covenant with his people. Jumping into this story of God's people, we will remember that back in uh, the book of Exodus, God used his servant Moses to lead his people out of their slavery into Egypt, and they crossed the Red Sea, and then in Exodus 19, they came to the the base of Mount Sinai, which is where they've been for about the past year, by the time you get to number six. You say, well, what has been happening over the last year? What's been happening is that God has been laying out the terms for how this special covenant relationship between himself and his people is going to work. And what we see as we read the story, and if you were to do this, start in Exodus 19 and read all the way through the book of Numbers, what we see is that at the center of God blessing his people, the height of it all, the greatest thing that he could ever do for his people is the truth that the real and holy presence of God is going to dwell in the midst of his unholy people. Now the Lord knows that if unholy people come into his holy presence, that they will not experience his blessing, but his just judgment and his curse. 
We see this from Isaiah's experience. When Isaiah comes into the holy presence of God, and he hears those words, holy, 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 it's in that moment in the presence of the holy God that Isaiah realizes that he is unholy. And so instead of expecting God's blessing, he pronounces judgment upon himself. Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. And so mercifully, (laughs) as a wonderful act of grace over the second half of the book of Exodus and all through the book of Leviticus, God shows Moses how it will be possible for his holy presence to dwell in the midst of his unholy people. And thereby he establishes the boundary of his blessing. God instructs Moses to build a tent of meeting, the tabernacle, which is to be the place where God's presence will descend and dwell in the midst of his people. And then in the book of Leviticus, God instructs Moses to set up the priestly sacrificial system so that his unholy people will have a way to be cleansed from their sin. And so having done all of these things as the story unfolds, we see the holy presence of God manifesting itself in a very real way among an unholy people. All of these things have been done by God because he knows that in order for his people to experience his blessing— The only way that it will be possible is if they are dwelling within the reality of his presence. And so this is a great act of mercy that he set this up with Moses. And so it's within this relational context, this context that is so important to make clear before we come to the wonderful words of verses 24 to 26, that there is a boundary line that is drawn around what we might call the camp of God's people. In in order to experience the blessing of God, one has to dwell within the reality of his presence in the camp. And of course, as people who are living on this side of the cross, we might consider the boundary line of God's blessing with even more clarity than the people of Israel did some thousands of years ago. For we know that everything that God established through Moses at the base of Mount Sinai was a foreshadow to the good news of the gospel, of what God would do once and for all through the life, death, and resurrection of his son. And so, for people in our own day, To cross the boundary line from being outside of the camp into which all of us naturally are born into and to cross into the camp and be in the presence of our happy God and experiencing all of the practical benefits of his presence. The only way that unholy people like us enter in is through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And so we might just start this morning in considering the boundary of God's blessing by simply asking the question, are you in the camp? 
But what does that mean? Has the Spirit of God awakened you to the reality that if you, an unholy person, were to come in God's holy presence, you would not receive blessing from him, but you would receive his just curse. This is why Christians love Jesus. What we have in the precious blood of the Lamb is access to come into the camp to live our life, all of our life, within the reality of the real, true presence of God. This is the essence of Christian living. Looking unto Jesus. We wake up every single day under the realities of the gospel. And our hearts are singing, I was outside the camp. But God made him who knew no sin to become sin for me on the cross. And Jesus Christ, who alone was the only human being who deserved to live in the camp, in and of himself, the author of Hebrews says he went outside of the camp. Where upon the cross, the curse that we deserve fell on him. And so we love Jesus. And so are you in the camp? The verses from 24 to 26 are wonderful words. Divine blessing from God himself. But there is a boundary line to the blessing. The blessing does not apply to all people in all places indiscriminately. It only applies to those who are in a covenant relationship with God through the person and work of Christ. And so if you are outside the camp, then please hear the plea of your heavenly Father who is gracious and merciful this morning. Come to Christ and come to your happy God who wants to inexhaustibly bless you now and forever. And for those of you who do know Christ, uh, would your heart be lifted this morning as you think about how wonderful it is to be in the camp. We should look around to one another and just say, Can you believe we're in here? It's all by grace. It's all through Christ. This is the boundaries of God's blessing. But secondly, we have the benefits of the blessing. Praise God. This is in verses 24 to 26, and we see... Uh, this divine blessing being spoken over God's people. There are three pairs that are mentioned, one in 24, one in 25, and one in 26. And what this divine blessing is trying to do is it's trying to show God's people what the practical benefits are to living in God's presence. So once again, the 
people of Israel in the book of Numbers are just about to go on their wilderness journey. They need this word of assurance that God is going to be with them. And so these blessings come as a reminder from God himself, like a happy father bending down his knee to his child and saying, it's going to be okay, I'm with you. So knowing the boundaries of the blessing, we come to this first blessing, the benefit of this blessing in verse 24. God's word says, the Lord bless you and keep you. So the first thing that the Father comes to us as his blood-bought children is he looks us in the eye and he said, in the days ahead, I promise you that I will provide for you and protect you. This is what it means, bless and keep. As God's people in the book of Numbers were preparing to leave, Undoubtedly, they would have been tempted to wonder if God was going to provide for them and protect them in the wilderness from their enemies. So too, this word of comfort and confidence is intended for the Christian today. As we live within the reality of the presence of God through Christ, we know that God has already provided, He has already blessed us with eternal salvation in Christ. And so as you live under that reality as a Christian, the Spirit of God brings that to your mind. Eternity is secure for you. God has provided. To live under that then gives the Christian a comforting assurance that during our temporal lives on the earth, It's all going to be okay. Our Father is going to provide for us. It's as if God is saying, by saying He will bless us, is that if we can trust Him in our death that leads into eternity, then we can trust Him with this momentary and quickly fleeting life as well. And knowing also the reality that through His own death, Jesus Christ guards us from our greatest enemy, eternal death, so too we continue to trust him. We can be confident that he will protect us along the way. There and again, we look to Christ, dwelling in the reality of the presence of God and the truths of the gospel. If he has been able to guard us from eternal death by his own blood, so too he will guard us on the narrow way that leads to eternal life. God has done this by giving those who belong to Christ his spirit. We've been sealed with his spirit. And so as we live the Christian life, the spirit of God makes the excellencies of Christ more and more and more attractive to us. And though we're tempted to stray away, and we often do, the spirit of God regularly calls us back to remembering that he who keeps us from eternal death will also keep us during our temporal life. And so if you are anxious this morning about what you have or what you don't have, if you are discontent with your provisional circumstances that you're facing right now in life, 
If you're feeling as though God is withholding blessing from you, then may you be comforted and filled with confident faith in hearing and receiving the blessing. Christian, may the Lord bless you and keep you in Christ. Well, what other gifts does our Father have for us? Second, in verse 25, we read, The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord making his face to shine is a wonderful image, and it's meant to communicate God's favor and delight as he looks upon his children. Of course, God being gracious to us is a promise of his mercy towards us even when we sin. Now, these two benefits really go hand in hand because it is in the midst of our sin when we are most often tempted to believe that we have once and for all forfeited our status as a child in whom God delights. And we are often tempted to be like Adam and Eve, not being excited about being in God's presence, but in seeing our sin, fearing the dread frown of his judgment. And so it would have been a great burden lifter to God's people when the priest would raise his hands and on God's very own authority speak verse 25 over his people, that God would make his face to shine upon them and be gracious to them. And so verse 25 is also intended to be a great burden-lifting word for those who belong to Christ. To be a Christian, to dwell in the reality of God's presence through Christ, means that we have assurance and security that he who was on the cross and said, it is finished, meant it. Through Christ's once-for-all sacrifice on the cross, if you belong to him, all of your sin, all of your sin, past, present, future, has been washed and forgiven by the blood of God's holy Lamb. And so if you are burdened down by the shame and guilt of your sin this morning, whether your sin is known or whether your sin is in private, May you be set free in knowing the unending delight of God through Christ in hearing and receiving the blessing. Christian, may the Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you in Christ. And yet he continues to give. 
Verse 26. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. The Lord lifting up his countenance is God turning his eye upon each and every one of his people. And the Lord giving us peace is him granting his shalom, a complete and quiet contentment that if I am at peace with my maker because of Christ, then everything else in my life is going to be okay. This would be a wonderful word for God's people in the book of Numbers to hear. As they wandered about in the desert, surely they would have had a moment where they would grumble in their own hearts or to one another, has God left us? Has God forgotten us? Has God forsaken us? Look where we are, this God-forsaken land. They would have been tempted to believe that God was no longer paying attention to them or having his eye upon them. And even the thought of that would have brought a chaotic fretfulness in their heart that would have affected every area of their life. And so it would have been a great security and a flooding calm when the priest would raise his hands and on God's very own authority pronounce to his covenant people that he who was dwelling among them would be the one that would lift up his countenance upon them and give them peace. And so verse 26 is also intended to be a great security and a flooding calm for those of us who belong to Christ. As we live within the reality of the presence of God through Christ, we know that because he died for us as his people, but also he died for us as individuals. He died for us personally. As Isaiah wrote in chapter 49, we were graven on his hands. Your name. And God's word promises you that if you belong to Christ, God's eye is on you better than a nursing mother's eye is on her new baby. says that in the Bible. And so if this morning you feel forgotten or overlooked, if you have areas of your life that are overwhelmed with fretful chaos, then may you sense the watchful and securing eye of your Father and know the flooding calm of his peace in hearing and receiving the blessing. Christian, may the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace in Christ. God is so good to his people. There is a boundary line to God's blessing. You have to be in covenant 
relationship, a blood-bought relationship through Christ with him. You have to be. But if you are, there are practical benefits that God has put at our disposal in living life within the reality of his presence. And then finally, in verse 27, God brands his people with his own name. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. It's as if God is saying, and having my presence dwell among you, I am going to mark you with distinction as people within the camp that there might be something different about you than people who are currently outside of the camp. This distinctive mark is quite literally God's presence through Christ among us. And so what happens? Because God has branded his people with his very own name, He has promised that he is not going to leave us or forsake us. He's going to be with us all the way. You remember those words of our Savior at the end of the Gospel of Matthew? And lo, I am with you, even to the end of the age. And it's in having the presence of Christ and living within the presence of Christ that God begins this transformative work of his Holy Spirit within us making us more and more like Jesus Christ. This is what happens when we dwell in the presence of Christ's Spirit. And we we begin to have a flavor and a look about us from within the camp that those outside the camp begin to look within and go, what are those happy people doing? (laughs) What is going on inside the camp? How do those people have joy and suffering? How do those people have hope in the face of death? How do those people love people that are so hard to love? And of course, the answer is, we have not become God's brand ambassadors because there is anything special or distinct about ourselves in and of ourselves. But if you belong to Christ, you are part of the special and distinct people of God because he is dwelling among you. And so as we have this happy experience of being a Christian, Not constantly, obviously. Life is hard. But as we know the comfort of his presence, something inside of us should be welling up from the camp. And we should be imploring and pleading those outside the camp, won't you join us? Look how good it is to be numbered among the happy people of the blessed God. Won't you join us? Won't you come through the blood of the Lamb and know what it's like to be a Christian?
And so we have the boundary of God's blessing, we have the benefits of God's blessing, and we have the branding of God's blessing. He's so good to us. So everyone who is in this room this morning, I would plead with you that the Spirit of Christ would open up your heart to receive this word of assurance, this word of divine blessing. For soon the end will come, and all that is pronounced in this divine blessing, which we now know only in part by faith, we will one day know in full by sight. This is how the Bible ends. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. God's people, those within the camp, those within the blood-bought covenant relationship will see his face. And his name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Christian, do you have this divine word of assurance enrapturing your heart this morning? God is so good to his people. He's so good to his people. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, I pray that you would remove any barriers of doubt or insecurity. Oh God, I pray that you would, by your Spirit, awaken sleeping hearts and resurrect dead hearts that are outside of the camp who have yet to taste how good it is to be one of your own. God, I pray that the reality of your holiness would be manifested right now God, that we would reach out to Christ. God, that you would pour out the benefits of your blessing in our lives as we seek you. So God, it is with great confidence that you are faithful to your promise to be with us that we pray in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen.